Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. Well, we talked about James chapter 2, and James chapter 2 is all about favoritism, favoritism in the sense of of this word uh, favoritism in the in the in the Greek means receiving the face, meaning you're like taking someone's face and judging by their outward appearance. And James is speaking directly to our favoritism, our bias, our misconceptions of others. He's talking about how we take love seriously and the kind of community we build as we do this. The kind of community we build as we learn to love one another with the way we see and treat one another in light of that. And I hope that's something you get to talk over, hopefully, this week in community with one of your home churches, because it's an important conversation. I'm thinking about how we actually go through the process of understanding our bias, understanding our misconceptions of others, and understanding how we as followers of Christ can love people in our perceptions ahead of time and humility. And so this week we move outward really as we continue in James, as we just heard here. James speaks about how we judge people last week and we're challenging now the way we speak to them, not just our perceptions of them, how we speak to, about, for, with people. He, he begins in chapter one saying, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and in the religion is... Worthless. This word religion, in this context, it doesn't hold the negative context that we have, negative connotations in the 21st century. It's essentially talking about the seriousness of our faith, meaning like if you really want to follow Jesus with an effort of seriousness, with believing what you actually say you believe, you have to think about the way you speak. You have to think about the way you talk about and to and for other people, having a tight rein on her tongue. This is massively important for our devotion to Jesus, and there's no way around it. Talks about it all throughout James. James 3, he gives us what we just heard, this sober picture. I want to hear it again here. It says, when we put bits in our mouths of horses to make them obey us, we, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder whenever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That's not going on anybody's coffee cup anytime soon. James is not afraid of saying some very strong things to us. Um, Turn to your neighbor and say, your fire, your tongue's on fire with hell. No, we won't do that either. Words have a power. Words have unintentionally a power. I won't make you raise your hand, but how many of you have, with the best of intentions, said something before, and it's like really blown up in your face? I could raise, if I had eight hands, I could raise my, my leg at this point. I know what that is like. The people I think have the, the most like beautiful understanding of the power of words are poets. Poets, if you're a poetry fan, you know how, how poetry is about 
taking words and using, using it to build a picture in such beautiful, intentional ways. Arguably the most well-known American poem is this poem, The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Anybody know what that is, The Road Not Taken? Hopefully you know that poem. You heard that in English class. The most famous words from this poem says, I, I, shall, I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverge in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Now, maybe you recognize this, but I wonder if you know the story behind how this poem, this very famous poem, was written. It was born out of this friendship between Robert Frost and this man you see here on the screen, Edward Thomas. And Thomas was known for being a bit indecisive, which was interpreted by his friends at times as a lack of conviction. So this is during the time of World War I. It's right on the doorstep in England. And Thomas, he struggled with this inner crisis of calling and courage. It was like all the real men were going to war. And he had this sense of, I don't, I don't feel these things that are driving me to war. I don't feel this sense of duty to, to have hatred for an enemy that I do not know. So he was wrestling inside with what was happening. And knowing this, his friend Robert Frost, he wrote The Road Not Taken, specifically for Thomas, and he sent it to him in the mail. And this poem, when he gets it, and he gets it in the mail, because at this point, Frost is living in America, and it makes him angry. It's like he feels mocked by Robert Frost. And he, he insists that this was not his intention, but at this point, it's too late. This is one of those tiny prods, along with many other things that caused Thomas to decide, forget it, I'm joining the war. And within two months, he's dead. Not only do our words have power in what we see in them, a poem like The Road Not Taken, but the intention of these words, the intention of even the most beautiful things that come out of our mouth can, unbeknownst to us, cause incredible pain. There is a truth here that there is an inseparability between our Language and our love. Language and love. Words and love are inseparable. And I believe, as we've said many times around here, that love is the bullseye. Love is what we're aiming towards. It's the measure of success in a church. It's the heart of our calling. It's the end goal of what restoration actually does. And so if that's the case, then how we talk to one another, how we speak about and to one another is incredibly, incredibly important. Jesus begins this conversation and giving us these words in Luke 6, 45. He says, a man, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You might call this the law of language in the kingdom of God. What, what comes out is always, always, always a reflection of our hearts, for better or for worse. James is almost certainly speaking within the context of Jesus' own words. When he writes these things here, he says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. 
My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, how can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring bring forth fresh water. In other words, we, we end up speaking who we are. Whether we like it or not, we will say, we will speak out of the overflow of not what we want to be, but out of act, who we actually are. Both Jesus and his half-brother James, they're calling us first. When we're having a conversation about language and our words, we're calling us first to examine our hearts. And at the very least, at the very least, to have the humility to know that your words have the power to infect things, to, to bring about incredible good, but also in that, incredible pain. And so we must steward them wisely. And it starts with something I think is some of the most necessary words in Scripture. I, when I was thinking about teaching James, these words right here, I think, were on my mind most of, of, of all of them. But James writes this in chapter 1. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James starts by saying we should not just listen. We know we should listen, but we should be quick to listen. While others rush to judgment, followers of Jesus, we rush to actually listen. This means we have to start with humility because I want to have something ready to say first. I like to prepare myself to talk first. I like to prepare myself in these conversations, especially hard conversations. I already rehearsed everything out. Jesus says, be quick to listen. James says, be quick to listen. Communicate much, much more when we start with listening. Now, I'm not saying we literally can't speak first in the conversation. Otherwise, we come together and we just sit there and wait for the other person to talk first. Like, that's not what James is saying. He's saying that as we enter into these conversations, we do this with a posture of listening. Henry Nouwen, he says, listening is much more than allowing others to talk while waiting for a chance to respond. Listening is paying attention, full attention to others and welcoming them into our very beings. The beauty of listening is that those who have listened, start to feel accepted, start taking their words more seriously and discovering their own true selves. Listening is a form of spiritual hospitality. I love that. Listening is a form of spiritual hospitality. It means making room at the table intentionally by listening to others. And then it says, be slow to speak. Why be slow? Because if we recognize that our words have power, if our words can catch things ablaze, we recognize we should probably slow down with what we say. We shouldn't be flippant. We are measured. We choose our words intentionally as an act of love for our neighbors and for our enemies, for our friends, for our family. And it's not just a coincidence that the next command deals with anger because when we do not listen and when we are quick to speak, it's a whole lot more likely we're going to get angry, right? It is a whole lot more likely we're going to deal with issues of anger when we have spoken before we have thought, when we have refused to have a posture of listening. Anger is far, far more likely. But it doesn't say here, notice, it does not say that anger is a sin. 
It says that anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Righteousness, it's speaking more here, more, more than just a personal morality. It's about a horizontal relational wholeness in love that God desires for our relationships. Righteousness and justice in the scriptures are interchangeable. So he's saying that this anger does not produce the kind of relationships that God desires when we allow that to come out as it does. And think about it. If I am quick to listen first, and if I am slow to speak, if I'm committed to that kind of communication, that kind of relationship, it makes anger a whole lot harder than it would be otherwise. It certainly comes to our attention when we think about beyond our interpersonal relationships, but I want to say a quick word to the kind of voices that inform us day to day, our, our news, our entertainment, our culture. Do they reflect those sort of values? Do the people we listen to, do the people we get our news from reflect these values? Are they measured with their words? Do they have postures of listening on the other side? I think about this and how it works with social media. Ryan Holiday, he is a self-proclaimed media manipulator. He wrote a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying. Make of that what you will. He points out that the most powerful predictor of what spreads online is anger. Our anger is manipulated, it is weaponized, and it is monetized. Billions and billions and billions of dollars are spent to make us and keep us angry. And when we are perpetually angry, we will not be slow, quick to listen, and we will not be slow to speak. We will be driven by the patterns of this world that form us into the kind of people who are known by our anger and not by our love. And that's not who we are. Instead, we're quick to listen because when we are quick to listen, we are, have the intentionality of love to say, I know in this moment that in the power of the words I have, I may not say what I need to say. So I need to listen to who you are first. I need to present you with how you will want to be presented first so I can actually hear what you want to say. That's why Ephesians 4 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, be, may benefit those who listen. Now, growing up, this was the do not cuss verse. Or it was also the verse of, how many of y'all had somebody that says, well, you might as well just say the real thing. You know, the, the frickin', when you say frickin', there's a person in this room right now, I won't mention names, starts with a W. Um, but when I said words like dang or flippin' or frickin', I heard very quite often, you might as well say, this, say, the, say the real thing. A couple of times I did say the real thing, and it didn't go well when I did say the real thing. But this verse was like the, this was the hammer verse growing up in church of, don't you dare say cuss words. Now, it's getting through. Now listen, I'm not saying here, I'm not saying this is not what that's saying, okay? 
I'm not saying this is not about cussing or things like that or don't cuss, drink, or chew, or date girls that do all that stuff. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not what this particular scripture is intending to say. This word unwholesome, it's one of those things in the English that you can kind of make of it what you will. But in the Greek, this word unwholesome is so cool. Sapros, meaning rotten, decaying, unfit. It's important because in the Greek, it literally means this. And it's talking about this in the context of building. That Greek word oikodomos, when it talks about building others up, it literally means to build a house. Now, from time to time, my friends Chad and Jay, who, who do real manly jobs, they, they have hammers and, and drills and stuff. They let me tag along because I talk and sing for a living. And I don't have very many redeemable life skills, so I'm learning. And they let me come and work with them. It's really fun. But when, sometimes we go out and we need to get wood. We need to get like two by fours and stuff like that to, to build things. And every time, you don't just pick up wood when you go to Lowe's. You don't just get it unintentionally, right? Every piece of wood you pick up, you look at it to make sure it's not like warped. You make sure there's not some parts in it that are not going to be helpful. Every single piece, even for things you're never going to see, you make sure this wood is together. It's right. And that's exactly what this picture is giving us here is that don't let your words, examine your words to make sure even words you don't think are going to be important, examine these words like the piece of wood you're building because you're building others up with these words. And so if these words are rotten, if these words are warped, if they are not right for building others up, put it back. And that's exactly the picture that we get from Paul here. You are building others, and you see the value. You see the value in what you're building. And because you see the value in what you're building, you aren't flippant with what you use in building. This is so, so important. And notice it says, Paul says, according to their needs, meaning this is not just a, a blanket general statement. This is thoughtful, intentional, gracious, encouraging. And I don't think it's, you know, it's not a secret that we, we, we inhabit this very tear down, tear apart world where you get attention, you get clicks, you get popularity, you get clout by how you can tear others down. Look how many videos you can find on YouTube of saying like, this guy conservative owns liberal or or liberal owns conservative. And it's all about how you can tear down. And you get clicks upon clicks upon clicks upon clicks. You get excitement. You get popularity by how good you are at tearing others apart. That's the environment that we're swimming in on a daily basis. That's how we are formed every other hour of the week that we're not gathered together as a community. We are swimming in it. And on top of all this... You and I, we face our daily battles that, that we're, we're struggling with. May it be family battles, job, job battles, health struggles, mental illness, all these things. Meaning, all that to say, we are constantly in need of repair. Every person in this room, you are never not in need of repair. You are never not in need of being built up. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say you will not face a moment for the rest of your life where you will not need to be built up by others. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 echoes it says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up 
just as in fact you are doing. Our English word for encourage literally means to give courage to those in need. But in the Greek, it's even better. The Greek, the word for encourage is the very same word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. Parakletos, meaning to come alongside, to speak on someone's behalf, to advocate for them. So when you encourage someone, this is far more than just, hey, nice shirt, buddy, or something like that. It's more than a compliment. You are coming alongside in relationship with one another and literally advocating for them, speaking for them on their behalf. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, he's saying that we should come alongside our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should speak words for them, with them, about them, that build them up, that reinforce them, that make them stronger. Because our words have power, and the words that we have together as a community can change the atmosphere of a place, can change the atmosphere, a culture of a community. And I'm not just talking about that word, kind of like a word of faith, prosperity gospel, like your words have power to create and all. I'm not talking about that. And I'm not talking about the, the secular form of that, which is talking about like manifesting, which is very popular right now, just saying, I'm gonna speak it into existence. That's not what the scriptures are talking about here. What it's talking about is that our words... Because our words are irreducibly relational, our words are irreducibly connecting to one another for better or worse, it means that the more we build into one another, the more we ourselves are built into as well. It changes the fabric of a community when we become an encouraging church. I was thinking about this this week with our name, our mission is restoration. There's literally built into this a building metaphor. We are builders. We want to be builders in a teardown world. And what James, I think, is helpfully reminding us is that more than our actions, because we love going out into the community, we love serving, we love doing. A lot of what has gathered this church together is a desire to stop just sitting around and actually do something about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. But James is very helpfully reminding us that building actually starts with the way we speak to one another. We focused a lot here on service and generosity and community building and loving our neighbors. And, and can I just be frank for a second? And because we have gathered a lot of people who are passionate about these things, who've maybe come from backgrounds where that wasn't possible, a lot of times that comes with not just a holy a holy discontent with the way things are, but it also sometimes comes with a little bit of a, a chip on your shoulder in Jesus' name, if you know what I'm saying. A little bit of cynicism. A little bit of like, if I actually say nice things about stuff, I'm not sure I'm going to be cool. I even felt that, like studying that this week, thinking about if I'm known as an encourager, there is a part of me that's a little worried about not being taken seriously. I'm just being real with you. Because encouragement seems a little bit dorky. But then I realize how much I need encouragement. I realize how much after two and a half years of the chaos we have been through as a church, how much one simple word of encouragement from people has incredible power for me. Incredible power. 
And I realized, I mean, I've, I can think of several occasions over the past couple of years where something simple has been spoken to me by you guys or, or even people outside of the church that it's been like, oh my gosh, it's like God reached in and said the very words that I needed to hear in that moment, and it changed, it changed the trajectory of days for me. And what would it look like if we were the kind of community that weren't just excited about building through action, but building through the words that we speak to one another, and not being so cynical that we can actually have the courage to walk alongside one another and say these things that I promise you are needed. I want to be that kind of community. I want to be the kind of community when people walk in a room like this or they see us in an outreach or gather with us for some event, they walk away thinking, man, that is such an encouraging group of people to be around. I don't know why, but I just feel, I didn't really say anything in particular, but it's just a really encouraging group of people. I feel stronger. I feel built up. And so that's what I want to pray for as we move into a time of communion. It's just that the Lord would make us a community of intentional life-giving encouragement. And I want to repent, Lord. I want to repent of being too cool, too cynical, to speak words that bring life. God, we inhabit such a tear-apart world a tear-down world. And every time we walk in these doors, we pray about it back there. Every time we walk in these doors, the people who walk through here walk through with wounds. They walk through with the disrepair of their own struggles and the struggles of the world that we face day in and day out. So God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak life into us today. May we receive, God, receive that we may give. Holy Spirit, in your name, as it says there in the scriptures, you come alongside us, you encourage us, you equip us. Would you do that today? Supernaturally, meet us where we are. thank you for being a God who became what you wanted to say. You are not just words on a page. You are not just lyrics to a song. Your word says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So as we take these elements today, this bread representing your body, the juice representing your blood, we remember that you, Jesus, are what God longs to say to the world. And may our words as a church family reflect that kind of love we see on the cross. 
cruciformed, life-giving words of love. Empower us for that today in Jesus' name.